0: The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Big Barker, therapeutic dog beds. Get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. The Colony Meadery, the official gluten-free booze made from honey of the process, and Kinetic Skateboard Shop. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code DAVESILVER. On the podcast today, we welcome yet another ringer employee on the Ricky that is not Bill Simmons or Kevin O'Connor. They are both banned. We will welcome Jason Concepcion of NBA Desktop and Binge Mode. Jason will be on the podcast because he is not banned. Uh, before we start the pod, very important announcement, Live Ricky 3 featuring Dario Saric live on stage is now 10 days away by the time you're listening to this. 10 10-ish days away, September 22nd at the Electric Factory. Limited general admission tickets still available. I say general admission, but uh, you'll get to sit. This is a seated one. So um, it's first, cur- first come, first serve in terms of where you're sitting. But uh, Potentially on stage t- on a dog bed. Like yes, a real, that's possible Like a real too.
1: special boy or girl.
0: Yeah, we will have okay. So Dario will be on stage for uh, an extended period. We will play some games with Dario. We will welcome him as he comes over. We will interview him. We will be doing the process Hall of Fame inductions as we induct Joel Embiid. Um, uh, a billboard. The billboard. Yeah, the billboard, <laughs> and that a, we put up
1: and a transaction.
0: Yes, and a pick swap. So we will do that. We, will, we have some a couple of special surprises we're not going to announce. We are going to have one Felicia Ricci, uh, Philadelphia area, area big Sixers fan and incredible singer, singing Eliza Hardy Jones' uh, process version of Imagine that we had at the lottery party. Um, but this will be a live performance of it with the video playing behind her. We're very excited for that. Felicia has been practicing. We'll do a great job. And um, and a lot of a lot of other surprises will be great. The doors open at six thirty, so we can all hang out before the show starts at eight. And what else? Oh, and then the uh, the Dario posters, limited edition Dario concert posters. You can see on our Instagram. Signed, um, by, signed Dario by Dario and the two of us and Tanner and Tanner who designed the poster. Great, so signed by Dario, and then we ruin it, and Tanner further ruins it. I'll so, make sure but make, make mine
1: very big. <laughs> That's
0: what you want? Uh, and our, our charities will be on site: uh, the uh, Providence Animal Center and um, and coded by Kids will both be there too. So make sure you donate to them or, or take their paraphernalia or whatever they bring. So. And without
1: um, further ado, yes, here is, here is Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Run the Chore. We are
0: the murderers there. That with
2: the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurting despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke powder to push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Woo. Woo. Step into the spotlight. Woo.
0: Uh, Welcome in to the Rights to Ricky thousand. Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who, uh, whose ability to host the podcast <laughs> may be hampered, <laughs> but you'll find out more in a bit. That is Mike Levin. Hi, Mike. Hi, Spike. Wow. Uh, yes. So day. we will get to Jason. Of course, the announcement came earlier today that um it's Mike yesterday. is it came yesterday i'm sorry i don't remember what day anything is so what is your official pos- position on the ben simmons show
1: uh i will be the uh writer and co-creator with my writing partner patrick kang of a uh we sold a pitch to nbc um based on ben simmons's life with his uh half brother sean tribe Uh, with LeBron James production company Spring Hill Entertainment Uh, so LeBron and Maverick Carter are executive producers uh, and they're they have a production deal at uh, Warner Brothers so those are all the entities and Patrick's older sister who is uh, also a a veteran TV writer she was on How I Met Your Mother and uh, fresh off the boat she is uh, the supervising she's supervising which means she's also an executive producer so a lot of lot of entity entities but uh created by uh me and Pat which is pretty wild Well, uh, not to give anything
0: away, but we already recorded the interview with Jason Concepcion, and we get more into it almost
1: right away. Yeah, So I I will just say, because I I know a lot of people don't know the TV world, and this is a lot of jargon in that Deadline article, but basically this means we sold a pitch to NBC, so they're paying us to write the show. And so it doesn't mean it's going to make it to air. It doesn't even mean it's getting shot yet, but uh, hopefully those steps come. But a long way to go, but this is... uh, Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going back and forth between like talking about it and feeling and like playing it down to be like modest or whatever. And also being like, I don't, I don't want to come off like a shithead, but I'll just say this is the coolest fucking thing. I, I, I love basketball. I've loved basketball my whole life. And obviously I've spent a lot of time giving a shit about the Sixers. And so to be able to do this kind of thing with my best friend, uh, about a show set in Philly, it's called brotherly love. Uh, I mean, it couldn't it couldn't be any cooler. And so, unfortunately, I will uh, no longer be able to do the podcast. That's a joke. I'll just sort of look. It's it's good that it's about Ben Simmons, and not fucking Bellinelli or something, right? Like, if it, <laughs> well, he's very good, the fact that he's uh, good means means it's very good. And if the show I'll doesn't say, get picked up, then I'll criticize him again.
0: All I all I'll say is that to even things out, I bought a "shoot it, coward" t shirt yesterday. <laughs> and uh, fair and balanced, this podcast. Yep.
1: Yeah, even Stephen. Uh,
0: without any further ado again, we welcome uh, of the ringer one, Jason Concepcion. What's up, well, Jason?
2: As what's up? I'm on vacation, I, but there's only one podcast that I'd break my vacation for and that's and that's this. That's this one. I was waiting that's for you to say the answer one.
1: and I wasn't sure if it was this one.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it Mark Marin? Is that Yeah, <laughs> it's and
2: and, and and Marin. But also, I I really want to interview uh, Mike about his newly greenlit sitcom based on the life of Ben Simmons. Yeah,
1: might have That's to come what on, I want to know that. might have to come on desktop for that. A lot of spice. I can't wait. Go, go ahead. and Interview him. Find out how
0: he's going to do a Sixers podcast when Ben Simmons is his boss. Let's see how that works. Uh, hold on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on.
1: Hang on. <laughs> hang on Let's hang figure on, that out one out. I don't know if you saw, boss. Let's look at the thing. Consulting producer, co-executive producer; those are uh, different titles. Oh, not, okay. One does not outrank the other. Consulting sort <laughs> of like, on the side. <laughs> can you? All say, right.
2: I, I mean, can you? Can you uh, give us any insight on how this came about? Did you? Did you pitch it? Was there already something out there, and you attached yourself to it? Like, how did this happen? Like, by the way, congratulations! I'm so happy for you.
1: Thank you, thank you, Jason. Um, it, uh, we had just had a, me and my writing partner Patrick, uh, Kang had a, uh, general meeting last year with, uh, uh LeBron's company, Spring Hill. Uh, yeah. obviously we're basketball guys. Uh, it went well. We were just having, chopping it up, talking about comedy and basketball, that kind of thing. And, uh, and then they reached out like a year later saying, Hey, we got pitched this basketball, this Philly centric basketball thing. We think you guys be perfect perfect for it. And we get on the phone with them and they're like, Yeah, it's with Ben Simmons and his brother <laughs> and we're like, uh, okay. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, and we pitched a take and uh, and put something together and then it just sort of kept kept proceeding, kept proceeding, and all of a sudden we're pitching it with uh, with those guys to all the networks and uh, and then NBC bought it and here we are.
2: This is incredible. Can you yeah. give us the what is the elevator pitch for, for this show?
1: Um so it's a network show. So uh, networks are always like so uh, worried about doing sports. So everybody wants to do a sports show, but right. they're they're worried about it, like going, being too esoteric or people not getting it. And there's been a bunch of attempts and stuff. There was like a, a Warriors show right before they won, like I think it was the year they won 73 and they didn't pick it up because uh, it just, it ended up not being like right or something. And so they're always trying to find the right way to do it. And so we, we got pitched a show, and and Spring Hill gets pitched a ton of basketball. Basketball people, obviously, people come to them through Clutch or LeBron or whatever, and uh, and it's always like some version of like Entourage, basically. And so right. we were like, we don't want to make Entourage. We want to make a a, network, a a funny network show. And we were like, how do we how do we figure this out? And we were like, let's just do it based on like a camp, and so. This is the like the Ben Simmons camp, you know. There's like word out of LeBron's camp or Kawhi's camp is that he doesn't like blah blah blah. Right. And so, uh, so yeah. So it's going to be like the people around him, and uh, the the deal is that it's going to be basketball. Is you know the family of the show is like the the dynamics between everybody is like the meat, and basketball is the seasoning. So that's how we're that's how we're approaching it. And uh, yeah, it's as the 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 as of now it's still early, but as of now the. Um, the the show picks up when, um, uh the the guy that the guy based on Ben moves from Australia to Philly uh, after being selected number one in the draft. Here's so, the wow. real question: Is yeah. can the guy in the show shoot? Ha- haven't haven't written it one way or the other yet. Could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> Could go either way. Uh, um, but yeah, it's uh it's cool, and we're and we're doing it a uh, mockumentary because obviously oh, the, Simmons, nice. yes. the Simmons family did it and did a, a documentary for Showtime, and we thought this would be cool. We're coming off... Me and Pat are coming off trial and error. Of course. And, uh, and yeah, so... And,
2: and I mean, that's ostensibly... I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that that's kind of like the NBC comedy house style at this point.
1: A little, yeah. They're with trial and error, with uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, obviously Parks and Rec of Days of Yore. Um, yeah, we, just, we think there's a, a fun way to do it. I don't think anybody's ever done... Mockumentary, like sort of making fun or poking fun at the uh, like sports documentary genre, uh, right. like Hard Knocks, Thirty for Thirty, those kinds of things. And we and those things are always so serious, uh, and like sport, they they just like take themselves very seriously. And so we we're excited to try to play with that and uh, and have a good time. Yeah. Will
2: you can can I pitch a, a quick story arc? Can you have like please? Uh, can you have the person who is basically Ben? Uh, start dating an R and B singer, like in the in the cold open, but then has broken up with her by like the f- <laughs> the, f- this, the first commercial break.
1: Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> this is it oh, now, guys. I can't, uh, I can't that, comment yeah, I on it. shit. <laughs> this is the best. Yeah, well, i awesome. every- my hands are tied. I'm a company man.
0: Yeah. Really, really wonder what the Boston Series would have been like if you were if you were this Mike. Oh um, man, boy, oh boy, what a well, season well,
1: we're My condolences have. to Rice
2: for Ricky. Like, I hope that
1: uh, I hope that. Well, we're, we're gonna, have, we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to do an uh, HBO as an initial investor of the Ringer uh, yes, type thing, and yes. after after every uh, commercial break. Well, but then you, you need a Greenwald to like sort of go
0: rogue all the time during it and go, "Look, I don't work for HBO. I'm just I'm just listen. a podcaster." Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, Well. so are you done with the, I wanna, I wanna it, it, your, I just want to, I don't want to cut off your interview. No,
2: that's before. it. I, that's all I want to know. And, and once again, Mike, thank you. Uh, congratulations on, on this initial success. I, of course, you know, TV uh, landscape is uh, a wild and woolly and dark recess of forests and winding paths but i hope that you uh i hope that your this initial success continues and i wish nothing but the best for this endeavor
1: yeah man thank you very much it's uh it's crazy just to be doing a basketball show with the best basketball player of all time and a current sixer and wow we've runner. already come on no, i was always <laughs> been that i've always been <laughs> best basketball player of all time that's not even <laughs> in the contract Right. Uh, there no, we, it's, we go. It's, I feel we feel very lucky and it's cool. And I'm sure I'll talk about it it's a awesome. million times, but uh, it's, it's very surreal. It's really awesome.
0: So, so let's pivot to something really, really important. I wanted to do the most sure. important thing up top. Okay. Can't wait. So I think back into the history of putting numbers in spelled words. And I go back initially to uh, the boy band Five, which spelled it with the number five. Sure. In five. Sure. And there's also uh, Carmelo, uh, who put a seven in Mellow. And then th- there's you, who has a three in Network. And That's right. I, I'm wondering if, if you have ever looked at words like that and try to figure out what the difference in pronunciation with the number is, like if there's a way to say it with the number, or if you just say it if there's a regular letter, and have you thought that through?
2: I've, I've briefly thought it through. Um, I guess, you know, with the three in network, it's like, would ostensibly be a kind of like a Germanic pronunciation, or like, if you wanted to go that route, or I have had people say net three irk to me, uh, but, you know, I, I, I I prefer to think about it as, as it's the pronunciation that the person intends when they put the number in there.
0: Got it. Hmm. And, and then second most important question, and then we can yeah. get ri- but, but to everything else. And this is also a, um, a social media question. You sure. seem to have bucked the trend. Now, uh, now, I have a different perspective now that I have dogs. But a dog avatar usually means right, racist bad. asshole, like yeah. troll. Um, uh, but y- you seem to have bucked that trend, at least in part. How have you done that?
2: Uh, I try not to be racist. Uh, in my everyday life, that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's you know it's worked so far, uh, in fits and starts. I'm ho- I'm hoping to continue that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just I I think I had um, it's always been my avatars and my dogs. So um, I think the the culture of kind of uh, racist dog avatars grew up around me. <laughs> uh, it was not something that I was initially aware of, um, and so I, I think it, that's. Essentially how that happened it was something that, that happened without my without my knowledge uh, or consent
0: I would love to take it back I would love to take dog avatars back you know um, to just
2: uh, yeah I mean it's terrible what's happened that and red hats it's like very very bad
1: oh just can't wear hats hats in general honestly have been mostly banned but the red hat with like a trying to poke poke fun at the make again it does not work it, it never works it doesn't, it, should, yeah. it, be it, it, it doesn't work.
2: It should be abandoned entirely. It doesn't work. The issue is that you see it from afar, and you're like, "Is that what's?" Yep. You know, and like people are will slow down on the street, wondering if like you're a piece of shit. It's just not. You know, it's not <laughs> worth it. It doesn't work.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, my, my, I, I hate to. I, I have so many questions for you. Yeah, I, I was. Let, sure. I, was just, I was. letting you run. Okay. Um. Okay. So let me let me move to. <laughs> I've I've a long list. Um I, let's 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 start it at the ringer where you yes. where you star um at on NBA wow. desktop and uh and binge mode. Congratulations on your starring role in those Thank things. Thank you very much.
2: I, I appreciate it. And uh, you know uh, much of course uh all uh plaudits would go to my co host, Mallory Rubin, in binge mode and then just Bill and all the people there at the ringer who've allowed me to do a really stupid show.
1: Well, look who's a company man now.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we so, all have it. That's right.
1: Spike that's always right. protects Wing Bowl. This is just how we. Do, this is just what we do. Here.
2: <laughs> this is this is just like the life of people who have jobs now.
1: Right. Right? It must be. Yeah. Uh, so.
0: You're. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, and I'm waiting for you to do a binge mode on a TV show that I watch. I would love for you to go back and do Mad Men or something. Uh, because yeah, I, it may
2: happen. You don't. You never know. We, there's, uh, we haven't begun discussing what's going to happen next, but
0: okay. You know. Um, so back to the Ringer. Sure. There, there are two people at the Ringer who are banned from this podcast. I, I don't love not you am
2: I'm fully aware.
0: So the two people who are banned are. Kevin O'Connor KC, and right? KOC and Bill Simmons. Now, Bill has never expressed publicly that he wants to be unbanned, <laughs> but Kevin O'Connor has expressed many times that he thinks sure. the banning is is unfair.
1: Although, although now ha- he has resorted to not talking about it, not referencing it at all. I think that. But I know he his, thinks about it. He definitely, he definitely thinks about thinks it, it. And, he, and I will say Kevin did text me congratulations, which is a very nice thing to do. Well, he's he's, he's a wonderful
2: human being. Both of them, wonderful human beings. Kevin O'Connor, uh, really a, a wonderful guy, new convert to living in Los Angeles, um, and all that that entails, he'll have, like, full sleeve tats by uh, this time next year.
1: Almost an upsettingly sweet person.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's tough when you meet him and he's, like, so sweet and authentic. It's, like wow. Now it's, like, you know... It makes it difficult to roast the guy once you meet him in person. <laughs>
0: his his niceness actually occasionally, very hilariously, shows in the uh, the NBA pod with Vernon because when they start arguing, yeah. Kevin is obviously so uncomfortable with arguing he just starts laughing. Which, yeah. if I were arguing with Kevin, would make me want to wring his neck. Um, but I can tell it comes from a good place.
2: A, they had a great they had a great one on the uh, latest Ringer NBA pod where. Uh, KOC kind of against his will defended Dwight Howard and the Dwight Howard uh, signing. And yeah. Verno was just absolutely uh, having a fucking cookout with KOC.
0: We take a break from the podcast from a guy who likes his dog. Jason likes his dog, right? He's, dog AVI. Dog avatar, not racist. Uh, let's talk about another company that has a dog avatar and is not racist. That's Big Barker. Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. We got a, uh, an, an email today uh, to the Rice Ricky Sanchez account from, oh man, what was his name? Hold on, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, Brian. And Brian was like, he was telling us how much he loves the podcast, and he says, I take great pride in being a Ricky listener, and the community really does feel like a family. I even bought my parents and my dog, Nellie, a big barker, and when family members questioned me about spending $220 on a dog bed, I just explained to them that 80% of dogs over 50 pounds will develop arthritis, and I love Nellie too much to let, let her basically sleep on the floor every night. So that's very nice. That's perfect. Good dog. Uh, that's the truth, man uh we love our dogs you should take care of your dog you should not have your dog sleeping in a crappy dog bed that is basically like sleeping on the floor their joints matter and uh and what they sleep on matters and big barker knows that and that's why you need a big barker bed and you need one with the ricky logo so go to bigbarkercom ricky for your free ricky upgrade um it is engineered by experts to keep your dog youthful for longer and bring your older dog back to their best. 10-year warranty, the phone won't flatten or they'll replace it for free. A 365-day at-home trial, try it for a full year. If your dog doesn't like it, if you don't like it, you return it for free, they'll even pay for a full refund. Handmade in the USA, I had a a conversation with Eric, the owner, earlier this week and Mm -hmm. he almost brought a tear to my eye talking about his dog, Hank, uh, that uh, passed away a couple of months ago. Um, he was talking about sleeping on a jumbo sized big barker with Hank uh, and I almost lost it so he's a good man he is uh, believes in the process and he believes in treating your dog the right way just like you do big barker therapeutic dog beds
1: some an angry sort of like video game <laughs> dog I was just gonna leave that one <laughs> leave it go uh,
0: back to the podcast so if we were to unban one person, one of those two people, who who do you think is the right? Not that we're considering it, but if, yeah, if yeah. We we're in charge. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it's like it, it's a tough. It's a tough choice for me, uh, mainly because Bill signs the checks. So it's like, how can I how can I uh, how can I vote against Bill? Right. I would say this. Um, have KOC on. It would be great. First of all, we, re- we love teasing him about the, uh, about the Ben Simmons hand thing. Let me just say this. I don't even know what hand it is now. Like, KOC says it so much in the Slack and various places that I actually am not sure which hand is the correct hand. Like, when I see Ben Simmons do something <laughs> now, I'm like, wait, is that, is that the hand or is it the other one? I actually don't know. It's just the conversation has become so incessant that I literally do not know which is the correct hand now. Is it, the, it wait? He's right-handed or left-handed? He's right-handed,
0: but he's right-handed. But he shoots with his left hand. It's that the, when you see him, even he lays it up with his right hand. When he shoots free right. court shots, it's with his right hand. When he does most things, it's with his right hand. But he he shoots free throws and jump shots with his left.
2: It's a it's a it's a weird thing. It half Kevin on it would be, it would just be it would just be really cute. He's such a, a wonderful person. He's a mm. nice guy. And it's, and the banning, I think, like, and also, like, you could have fun by threatening to ban him throughout the show, threatening to, to reinstate the ban. I think would really bring him a significant emotional pain, and that's, that's entertaining in a, in a way.
1: Yeah, keep him in check.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah. You, uh, in your position as a, uh, a national personality, deal with a, a lot of different uh, different teams' fans. Like, you get to watch them from, from afar. Sure, sure. Now we're, we, I I know, even though I'm in the middle of it, I know Sixers fans are are out of their fucking minds. I yes. guess in in the list of out of their minds, where do Sixers fans sit, and who is close, if anyone? Uh,
2: it's fun with the Sixers fans because there's there's a certain part of it that is performative. I feel at least when I'm you know like when I meet Sixers fans, it's like I they're kind of supposed to be crazy. So they are, and it's given them some kind of, uh, the fact that they are supposed to be crazy has given them some kind of like psychic permission to actually be that crazy, even though like some (laughs) amount of it is just like posturing. Um, But they are truly insane. I would say Toronto fans are also in there simply because they've just been, uh, they've just been beaten down for, so, and they believe so fervently every single year that they're, Going to beat LeBron James and then it never happens. Um, so I think that they are right there. They've been driven to mania by their constant uh, coming up short. But I think I would put Sixers fans certainly at the top uh, because of their aggressiveness,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, which I find quite delightful, to be honest with you. It's really fun. They bring a lot to the party and it's great. It's great that the Sixers are relevant. So that the the basketball world can really see how fucking crazy you guys are. You guys are really insane.
1: Can can you tell the difference when you're interacting with a Sixers fan if they were pro-process the whole time or if they've were anti or like didn't pay attention and came back?
2: Yeah, I, can, I think I can. well. First of all, I think there's a there's a um, there's like a generation gap. Mm-hmm. I think is the easiest way. You know, like Sixers fans, thirty-five and under, are probably going to be pro-process, just because that's, you know, that that's their milieu, so to speak. Older Sixers fans are going to be like, "What the fuck is this? Why are we losing like on purpose? Like, and like, this doesn't make any sense to us." Um, And I think also that there's a there's kind of a shared language. There's like a love of, um, you know, like pro-process person will. We'll bring up Hinky in ways that a uh, that a convert or someone who's putting on process airs just can't. You know, they don't understand the language of of, of Hinky. Uh, they can't tell you exactly how many pages in the in the in the manifesto there are. The that team. kind of thing. yeah. See, exactly. They say they, so they can't do that. Um, and so the, those are the easiest ways. I think yes, I can tell. And they can't tell. You know, pro-process people can tell you like where every fucking second round pick came from. Like, uh, they can really go out into the weeds. They'll talk about Robert Covington in a way that, that is special. That's right. Um, um yeah. and people who were not there for the entire ride just can't, they simply can't do
0: that.
1: And what is your, what is your impression of those people? Because we haven't, we, this is the first time we've had you on and, yeah. uh, we've been internet friends for a while. And we've met a handful yeah. of times in, in IRL. um, what, as, you know, look back, look back on the process for a second, and, sure. and specifically the, uh, the the type of people that uh, went along with it and were, were so staunchly in favor.
2: Um, what do I think of them, or what, what if...
1: Just like along for the ride, like from two thousand thirteen to the hink, to the Hinky getting pushed out to the, you know, we'll get to Colangelo later, but mm-hmm. to, in that in the whole like believing and uh, lashing out. And everyone as it was as, as, it, as there was the Ponzi scheme criticism, as there was the uh, embarrassment to the league criticism, that kind of thing.
2: Well, I think that um, the, uh, the interesting thing about uh, pro-process people is the way the kind of aggressiveness, the natural Philly aggressiveness, Philly fan aggressiveness um, uh, kind of blended with this aggressive defense of the process, which I think was it was necessary to be defended, and I think you'll see a lot of the um, the easy criticism of Hinky is that he didn't do enough press, right? He didn't he didn't defend it enough. He did, he wasn't out there as the face of the as the face of the Sixers, seeing, saying this is why we're we're doing this, this is why we're we traded MCW, blah 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 blah, um, and that's I think that's fair and unfair but I think the important thing is that the pro-process fans were absolutely belligerent in defending every move. Um, and I think that's carried on to, you know, when I watch you guys, the way that um, fans are kind of handling or the the GM search, a quote-unquote search, uh, like air quotes search, um, I think it's a, it's a wonderful continuation of, like, the... The aggressiveness of, of the of the process fans, who I think are, um, they're like a uh, like a rear guard force for uh, what the team should be.
1: Yeah, you know, because it's it's interesting talking to you about this because we don't, uh, we have guests on that are Sixers fans generally or or specific talking specifically about the draft that kind of thing, but uh, you're a national guy that. Uh, are obviously a Knicks fan mm-hmm. but you've also you you have like shown favor towards process fans. I think you like I think you're a big fan of process nation but you also just uh have a natural inclination to roast people and yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I, I think that there is a, a a sweetness a fondness that you have uh for this odd subset of fans and so it's always interesting just to talk to you and see like sort of where where your head's at with us is it now that the Sixers are good and they won 52 games last year and went to the second round of the playoffs, do you, like, how do you feel like uh, Sixers fans and the process bandwagon, which got a little heavy and then now maybe got a little lighter and is probably getting heavy again as the season comes back, how do you think everyone's handling that from afar? <laughs>
2: uh, I think, well, I think that, like, listen – I would worry when the real success happens. Like, let's, how, how will you guys handle, like, uh, you know, being perennial Eastern Conference finals, uh, being a, a constant force, like, in the mix, like that? Um, as of now, like, there's just so much to complain about, and I think the energy has been directed at the things that should be complained about in ways that are really interesting. I'm, 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 like, kind of jealous of, of the political, Heft that process fans have, like, within the discourse, um, surrounding their team. I wish that, I wish that Knicks fans, like, could, ha- could have had that kind of influence in the way that their team is perceived. Um, you know, maybe the Knicks wouldn't have sucked for 15, 16 years. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's, um, there's, oh, there's an ability of process fans to hold the leadership of the team's feet to the fire that kind of is is really notable and very interesting. Um, and that I've, like I said, I'm kind of like jealous of because, the, you know, as a Knicks fan, my team is like immune to criticism. Like they can have the most embarrassing shit happen to them and they're just like, oh, whatever. So it's like, we'll just keep doing this. Um, whereas with the Sixers, at least this is the perception from the outside, it feels like, you guys will get riled up about a thing, and whether or not the team changes due to that, they at least will have to address it in some way. Like they'll yeah. they'll have to address the topic, um, which is the Knicks will never do. The Knicks will never do.
1: And and why do you think that the Knicks fans have they just been beaten down for so long by the Dolan regime that they just can't muster it?
2: No, I think that there's just like there's just a lot more. Uh, the fortifications around the Knicks are just a lot more, a lot more, um, you know, a lot more harder to penetrate than they Mm -hmm. are with the Sixers. Uh, You know, like um, Dolan has been enmeshed in the New York media scene for a long time. The Knicks uh, right there in the middle of the city with a huge fan base. The Knicks fans have, you know, held numerous protests against the team, but none of that seems to kind of like penetrate the, 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 the media armor of the team in a way that that gives you an idea that um, Dolan and the leadership understand that fans are fucking pissed about the way things are going. Well, um, and that just doesn't seem to to exist with, with Philly. They they yeah. really seem to feel the heat.
1: Yeah, that's interesting oh. that you said that because the the uh, the fact that there hasn't been any sort of continuity in the front office of the Sixers for the last I don't know. 15, 10, 15 years. Yeah, specifically, especially the last six or seven, uh, maybe as a benefit in that they don't have the the clout to be like, where everything's good. Where the, we they don't have they don't have time to fortify their walls because they're right. constantly getting penetrated left yeah. and right. Well, I I think too, uh, New
0: York. It, it's part of it is just New York and Philadelphia that something is. Just being in media as long as I've been here, when something's big, big in Philadelphia, um, like something big in New York can get lost because it's New York and right. because so many there are so many teams and so many things, and um, so I think a th- something that is an enormous deal here, which would be like this crazy uh, basketball fan group, would would not resonate the same way in the city in New York as it does in Philadelphia. I think it's just part of it is just a size thing.
2: Yeah, I think size has a lot to do with it. I mean, there's there are huge segments of Knicks fans that are that, that believe that the team should be run a certain way that would have loved to tank. I me being one of them. Like I've I would have loved it if the Knicks would have processed the fuck out over the last, you know, 5 years. Um the, the thing you always hear about the Knicks is or in New York, if you can't rebuild in New York, it's some adage that some idiot came up with. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like, if you would have rebuilt three years ago, you would have been, <laughs> who knows where you would have been? You know, it's like, if you would have dedicated yourself to really, 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 really being intelligently shitty for uh, three, four consecutive seasons, who knows what kind of talent you would have amassed? Uh, And if you would have really dedicated, if the team would have really dedicated itself to not paying out contracts for... 30, 40-year-old washed human beings. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the thing that a lot of Knicks fans would have liked. The, the other side of that is because the fan base is so huge. Uh, it's naturally fragmented. So there's just as many people who are going, oh, great, fucking Joe Kim Noah, let's get this guy in here. Great. We, with the, so that's what we need to, to really bolster the, spot, the defensive spine of this team. You know what I mean? Whereas um, you guys are smaller but a lot more unified.
1: Yeah. Well... Because we got
2: rid of the other people.
1: Yeah, it <laughs> was like it's, a purge. We
2: killed them. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally threw them into the river.
0: It is it is interesting you say that. I do think in a lot of ways the Colangelo uh, running out of town, basically by himself, but the Colangelo running out of town may have been the last, uh, the last thing that everyone was all on the same page on. I think, right. you know, through the process era... there was definitely a group think we're all in together, but with success comes different opinions and more Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely felt like, that I have been on a everyone has been on on has not always been on the same page with everything over the last couple of years the way that everyone was the first 3 years and the Brian Colangelo thing was like this final moment where we could all get together and go we all fucking hate this guy come on <laughs> let's do this and then <laughs> that was it you know with with Dietrich is the Pied Piper of uh oh man of, what
2: a yeah what can what I, a fucking time for him what a lord can, what a lord I, he is can right i now. ask you yeah. about
1: what you when the Colangelo thing went down, sure. When were you read into it? What did you have an inkling of things that were happening? Obviously, you're, an, yeah. a, you're a coworker with these people, uh, close with Chris Ryan, etc. But like, when when did you? Because I know they kept a pretty tight lid on it. When did when what were did? you? I knew.
2: A, I I knew a few. I want to say, maybe four months or so before it ran. Um, wow. I helped a little bit just with. Um, Just like how can we, uh, looking at this through a social media lens, how can we make sure that, uh, what, what are the ways that we can like kind of nail this down as much as possible? I didn't do nearly as much as um, Chris did and other people did, but uh, I'd say about four or five months beforehand. Uh, and when I got right into it, I was like, holy
1: shit. I mean, that's a, it's a I can't imagine a more Jason Concepcion story. To happen. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that you had to keep your mouth shut the whole time. What was that like? Uh,
2: I, it was actually very easy because i you, the import of it was obvious right away. You know what I mean? Like, it was really obvious what a fucking wild story this is. This has never really happened before. No. You, you know what I mean? Like, this... It, it, I'm sure that there are other GMs that have secret uh, Twitter accounts that they use to monitor things, but but... It's never been in this kind of way where allegedly a GM of a team was actually t- putting out information. Um, so it was, it was wild. It, it was actually not that hard to, to keep a lid on it.
0: Let's take one final break from the podcast to talk about our only alcoholic sponsor, the only alcoholic sponsor we need. That is the Colony Meadery. Mike, let me ask you something. Now, mead... Mead has alcohol in it, um, Mm -hmm. is made from honey. Mike, tell me how much gluten that mead has in it from the colony meadery. Not a single one they're not allowed to. They are not allowed to have gluten in it, not allowed. Otherwise, wouldn't be mead. Mead has been around for a very long time, but it took the colony meadery to get it right. They're up in Allentown, again, process trusters, and uh, here's mead. You might be wondering what it's like. It's, uh, we sort of say it's sort of like cider, but not. It comes in all different flavors. sort of has a wine thing to it, but not.
1: Um, it's sweet, but not and, too sweet, that kind of yep. thing. And I'm excited to be drunk as hell while we talk to Dario on, on stage. Yes. On, drunk as hell on mead, talking to Dario. We have some things planned, some skits planned. I'm going to probably screw it up because I'm enjoying this mead so much. And then Mike is going to not drive home because that you
0: you enjoy it That's responsibly. Right. You That's get right. buzzed responsibly. Um, all different flavors uh, of mead. It, it, you know, I say cider. It doesn't taste like cider. There's all different flavors. Maybe just sort of like the the vibe of cider. The birch mead just tastes exactly like birch beer. Exactly mm.
1: like it. Do you know you can you get it on commercial, the the commercial for? Uh, oh, I forget what it was for, but it was like don't make bitter beer face. Do you remember oh that? yeah yeah yeah. What about I'm it? Not, not with mead. No, never. Never with Colony Meadery. You can order
0: online at colonymeadery.com. Use code RICKY for five bucks off. They have tours and tastings up at the Meadery Tap Room in Allentown. It's available all over the Philly area. Uh, Trolley Car Station has two of their meads uh, in, uh, in University City there. The fooderies have them. All of the Wegmans in Eastern PA have them. Uh, and they will be, as you said, at the live Ricky at the Electric Factory. They'll be selling mead and also giving away some leftover Joel and mead stickers. So mm. uh, once again, five bucks off with the code Ricky, ColonyMeadery.com. Must be 21 to drink. Please get buzzed responsibly. Now, back to the podcast. And, and the fact, like I, we, we talked, we had Ben on last month. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we asked about one point, Ben, do you realize how crazy it was that it was you Like there's there's I I, I think there's probably 20 or fewer people in the world that really have a sense of how crazy that is. So um, it is pretty crazy.
2: It is absolutely like I think about it still now and it is mind blowing that that occurred.
1: So many little gems like for you specifically, it feels like him basically clearing his throat, looking both ways and just. (laughs) Screaming my wife into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you can't touch that. You just can't. I mean,
2: you know like, I just think that it's um, you know to say I, it is it is a wild stance as far as I'm concerned to. To basically say my wife you know what what happened my wife that is a, that is an incredible thing to have occurred and to just have the out there as a, as a piece of public record um, I'm absolutely still flabbergasted that this story happened uh,
0: to jump back uh, I, I remember a moment uh, about you and Sixers fans when retweet Armageddon was happening yeah, yeah. and and I, I I don't remember the exact word, but I think I might remember your exact tweet was something to the effect of Sixers fans feel thyself. And I I almost pictured it as Retweet Armageddon was this incredibly strong wind, and you were just standing in the middle of the wind, almost like the Memorex guy sitting in front of the speakers. Correct. Like, like watching the internet blow by you and just enjoying every second of it.
2: It's really, it really is quite enjoyable. Like the, (laughs) the community memory of Sixers fans and like the, the, uh, just like how strong you guys bring it on social media is really fun. And it's something that I think is fantastic. It's really fun. Like. I don't even mind. I don't honestly mind getting roasted by you guys. It's just fun. It's part. It is part to me. It's like this is part of what it is. Like if you want to be involved in NBA Twitter and you want to have takes and you want to say stuff, just be prepared to be roasted by among other Sixers fans who will absolutely dredge up a tweet from six and a half years ago that you did at yeah. two in the morning to uh, flay you alive with. <laughs> yeah, I
1: I had Noah Vonleh starting for the Sixers in the 2017 uh, finals. Didn't so. work out that way. Well,
0: we don't um, know. Can I ask you? So I grew. I spent my teens and most of my 20s as a Knicks fan, which is a okay. dirty secret of this podcast. Um, okay. I uh, I started as a Knicks fan when my my friends in high school were Bulls fans. So it was the uh, Starks Ewing Knicks. Like yeah. Starks is my my favorite my favorite basketball player of all time. Do you have a, I, I can't imagine it'd be a different era, but do you have a favorite specific era of Knicks basketball?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it was then, you know, like they uh, looking, it's funny looking back on it as an adult and the way the game is played now, it, it's hard to escape the judgment that the Knicks really did almost ruin basketball with the way they played, which was just yeah. basically to overcome the fact that they, we're always going to be at a talent deficit with the Bulls and other people by, you know, grabbing opposing players about the head and neck and throwing them to the court, like every time they drove the lane. Um, but that pugnaciousness really uh, tapped into something that was really um, interesting in Knicks fans. It, it, the thing about Knicks fans that's interesting is, on the one hand, you know, it, New York is a city that's kind of uh, used to winning through osmosis with the Yankees and other teams. And styles itself as the greatest city in the world, but Knicks fans really see themselves as like perennial underdogs. Um, so it's like the Knicks, the Knicks Bulls really tapped into that in an interesting way, where it was like the Bulls and Jordan were like these princes of the NBA, and and the Knicks were just out here like scrapping for everything they could. You know, John Starks, fucking coming off bagging groceries to guarding Michael Jordan, like with everything he had in his in his in his body. Um that was that was a really fun time. I think if my favorite Knicks team of that era was probably uh when they got Larry Johnson. Yeah. And they and he had, had the the back injury so he had really turned himself into like a, a like a a stretch four, which is not a thing that they talked about back then, but really like a jump shooting forward. Um and they, I've, they were going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, they they were going to they were going to meet the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm not going to say they were going to beat them, but they had the they they had the weapons to at least challenge them in the way that they couldn't before. Because jump the shooting was always the problem with the, with the Ewing Bulls, with the Ewing Knicks. They just didn't have anybody that, that could that could knock it in at a consistent clip. You know, Stark was fucking gritty as hell but he was a hot and cold guy and, and when he was cold he was brutally cold as as the 1994 finals will test so that was really a team that i thought was I, I just fell in love with that team and then they got absolutely screwed um in the playoffs when uh you know pj pj brown committed a heinous foul i will st- still say at the behest of pat riley and caused a uh, a fucking massive brawl
1: the, uh, yeah.
2: the huge melee that caused basically every Nick to be suspended, and they had to, you know, they had to uh, kind of stagger the suspensions so that the Knicks could have enough players to play. And they went from three-one up in a series against the Heat to losing it. That was really brutal.
1: If that Three. happens today, oh, what? What? Uh, oh yeah. How does, it, how it does, how does, how does the 2018 eighteenness change what went down?
2: Well, I think I think that the league has become a lot smarter about stepping off stepping away from the bench uh suspensions ewing stepped off the bench but also clearly was like a a peacemaker throughout the whole process he was not out there swinging he was not out there trying to do He was trying to hold guys back um and i think the league has gotten a lot um smarter about that like it's not just a blanket if you step off the bench you're gone uh at, at the same time i understand that the league really had to clean up with the what essentially the knicks had created throughout you know Taking the torch from the from the Pistons in the in the late eighties, early nineties, um, but if, yeah, if that happened today, I there would be suspensions, but it wouldn't be like the whole fucking starting five was basically suspended. Also, if that if they did do that, forget about it. It would be it would it would dominate sports discourse for a month.
0: Three rapid fire Knicks questions, then we can get sure. off the Knicks. All right, I was I was always a huge I was a fan of like the late era point guards of that era, the ones. So, if you had to win one game and you mm-hmm. could choose one of three point guards to start and here here are your choices. Charlie Ward, Chris Childs, <laughs> Greg Anthony.
2: Oh my god. Oh.
0: It's fucking brutal.
2: Uh, I guess Charlie Ward, he was a decent caretaker guard. This is like very bad. Greg Anthony, this it was a good defender. the think people forget about him. He's just like a wild. He would just take wild shots. He would just yeah. be like, "Now I'm gonna fucking take a twenty-eight foot three for no reason." Um, I, I guess it, yeah. Charlie Ward, also like you know, it's good to have a Heisman Trophy winner on the on the team. It, that's really it's just those three names. It really just shows you like how sad the Knicks point guard <laughs> rotation has been for the last <laughs> 15 years. like it's really been fucking brutal. It's been brutal. Uh,
0: and then the final two questions are just w- really they're the same question. One, why didn't Charles Smith just dunk that ball? Uh, and two, why didn't Patrick Ewing just dunk that ball?
2: It, Patrick just didn't have the lift. He just didn't have right. it anymore. Fair. You know, like his knees, like if you'd ever see pictures of him uh, after games, they he looked like the fucking Iceman. They put him in a fucking block of ice. The guy's like legs were fucking coming apart charles smith was always fucking soft that's the thing about charles
0: <laughs> <laughs> charles
2: smith was always a soft guy i mean in, in a way i feel bad for him because uh now there were some fouls in there i feel the need to say that but at the same time like charles smith was always he was always that guy he was never his whole career was never the guy that took it up hard he was played semi out of position uh because he was you know more he was like a finesse small forward but like uh, he was just never that guy he was never gonna be that guy that was like gonna go up strong and like bring fucking Scotty Pippen on his back and up to the rim and dunk it with two hands he was just never going to ever be that guy
1: now that now that you have uh Chris Depp's Porzingis love him and what, a, what
2: a beautiful human being uh, he is
1: the I will uh contend till my dying breath that Hinky was forced to not take Chris Epps. <laughs> uh, do you derive any enjoyment out of the fact that Chris Epps is a Nick and the Sixers took Julia for ahead of him? Oh you? yeah. You... A, a, a tremendous amount. You do, even though uh, even though he's languishing on the Knicks and almost was traded t- by Phil Jackson and <laughs> Well I
2: said a tremendous amount. I think that listen, I think that the the weight of Hinky's moves as a Sixer lead me to believe that he wouldn't, he did not want to take Okafor. Thank you. I, I, I think just, uh, you know, what What did Hinky value in his, in his picks? Length, mobility, um, and shooting, right? Like, it, he just, he wanted those as like, you know, base factors. Uh, hard to see where uh, Okafor fits in in that. You know what I mean? Like, it just, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I, I, also suspect that he was forced to take the nba ready guy just because the heat around the team had become such but i derive a tremendous amount of of pleasure from the fact that he fell to us
0: so that's that's the 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 process fan theory that keeps us all uh able to sleep at night sure i i can't he i can't buy that he would have stayed on if they made him pick somebody that he didn't want to pick that's I, I just – I think – I don't think he thought Okafer was good. I think he thought he was going to flip him and then the the idiot went and got in a fight and um, – Sucks worse and, than we could even imagine. Yeah, yeah. And and like – and then Jerry Colangelo came and it all got screwed up. But I I think he was thinking – when you say what did he value, he valued value. And I think right. he thought that Okifer because I always joked which idiot – like, is it going to be Phil Jackson or the Lakers that trade for Okafor? Like, which one is he going to hold up? Oh, man, and big
2: butt. Phil Jackson loves that big butt,
0: guys. <laughs> yeah, and it just... He never got a chance to screw <laughs> Phil Jackson. It really bothers
1: me. Sad.
2: Yeah. I mean, Phil would have bit. He would have bit. He was trying. He just tried to trade him.
1: Do you, do you think that uh, Hinky comes back to the league as a, as a GM somewhere?
2: Uh, I think he should. I think that the... I think that the way that his uh final weeks as a Sixer went uh the pressure brought to bear by kind of like these militant owners is like the is what you hear. Um I'm sure you guys have heard the same thing that it's a subset of owners came at Adam Silver and were like, This can't continue. Um I think with that kind of political pressure brought to bear it would be an uphill climb, but I would love to see it. I would love to see it.
0: We take a break from the podcast. Jason, sit right there. Sit, take a seat, and listen up. Yep, as we talk about our sponsor, DraftKings. Draft Mike Kings. DraftKings. It's week two of the football season, which means a second shot at victory. This isn't the regular crappy fantasy football leagues that you're in with your buddies where if you have a bad first week, you probably have a bad whole season. No, no, no. DraftKings, new team every week. Bragging rights, huge cash prizes, up for grabs all season at DraftKings, the leader in one-week fantasy sports. This weekend, DraftKings has over $2 million in total prizes, and you can play for free with your first deposit to compete for your share. Mike, here's the thing. And you know this, we've talked about DraftKings before. That's right. With with one week fantasy football at DraftKings, you get to pick when you want to play. You can play this week, not play next week. You can have a different team every week. Yeah. You're not locked into your shitty first team.
1: No, and my shitty first team in regular fantasy football lost to my nephew. My like a 12-year-old nephew beat my ass, and that wouldn't happen if I was playing one week fantasy cuz he is not old enough. <laughs> at <laughs> At DraftKings, you are the GM.
0: You pick your players, you stay under the salary cap, you see how your team stacks against the competition. No matter if you're bad at it like Mike or good at it like his nephew, there's a contest waiting for you at DraftKings. So if you're thinking about one week fantasy football, now's the time to play. Nothing makes Football Sunday more exciting than when you have a DraftKings lineup on the line. Download the app or go to DraftKings.com now. Use code RTRS to enter a contest for free this weekend with your first deposit and compete for your share of over $2 million in total prizes. That's code RTRS only at DraftKings. The game inside the game. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And now... What would you say back to Jason he's still there Jason podcast
1: where would you want him
2: Wow. Ooh. I I'd, honestly like I would I would love him as a, as the next year wow. it would be
1: great uh, oh my god do you I, think he I would, would <laughs> do, do you think would do the same thing or do you think he would just find what is the advantage I have of being in New York now with some runway that other yeah I
2: think I, I think he's a he's an extremely flexible mind I mean, he he would use every weapon in his arsenal. If if it's if it's money, then it's money. If it's uh, if it's bottoming out, that's bottoming out. They, they obviously the team is at a different talent point than the Sixers were when he came on. Um, so I don't think he would do it exactly the same way. Um, but I think I, I would I would happily take Sam Hinkie as the GM of the Knicks. Although I'm happy with the with the the moves that the Knicks have have made thus far.
0: I, I, In the I new regime genuinely under the new regime. I genuinely cannot imagine the can you imagine just the fucking insane it, moment media storm when Sam Hinkie gets announced as general manager of the fucking Yeah, Mexico. it would have
2: to be a small market team because it would not. I I don't think that there's any way he could come
0: back with.
1: Well, like I as, I actually disagree because I think the process was a small market team move. Um to some extent. I think I think it I think to me it won't, it wouldn't happen unless he had a different avenue, a different way to procure stars, because even the Sixers, you know it's early, but yeah. the all the star power the Sixers have, they still haven't been able to lure any free agents yet
2: that's true and i I think then, that that's fair
1: yeah, so i i've said I think I've said for a while that that I think if he comes back, it would be to a to a Knicks type place, maybe like it, maybe the Bulls, something like that.
2: Here's my counter to that though is that he's now so closely associated with the process. And I think the league's, one of the league's great fears is that um, a team like the Knicks or the Bulls or the Lakers or something like that would dedicate itself to the process for three to four seasons. And just like the story that that would become um, nationally um, is something that I think the league would be extremely... uh, Nonplussed about.
1: Sure. Uh, generally, because I, I think we we all enjoy our bad teams. It's funny to laugh at the Kings of and stuff. Why why are some NBA teams so consistently dumb?
2: It's a, it's an interesting question. I think like there's a lot of political infighting. Certainly in the Knicks, there's just like a lot of. Um, for one thing, there's not like a consistent vision about how to make the team better. Like a lot of it is is just kind of. Um, changing course when you should stick with something and sticking with something when you should change course. Like a lot of it is that. And I think a lot of it is like, you know, just the way you spend your money. You can't give money to the, to the wrong people. And I think there's a lot of pressure on teams to win. And I think what you see a lot is GMs making decisions when they feel like they're on the hot seat in order to save their job. And that's always the most dangerous time for a team. Uh, because that those are when you start making moves that could really affect your team for the for the kind
1: of the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, because to me the the Kings and teams like the Magic, those kinds of places mm-hmm. can it's understandable, right? They know people yeah. aren't really going to come there, so they. Uh, they make their draft picks, they try to get guys, things don't mesh, coaches, personalities, whatever, right. and they keep trying to reboot. Like Veterans that they try to blend together and they top out at like 35 wins or whatever. But the Knicks have so much rope yeah, to be and that's, like an elite team. Everybody, agents, uh, shoe companies, the league office, everybody wants the Knicks to be good. All of those places.
2: Well, and I they, think that yeah. Have been
1: for so long. And I think how, a lot of it. I think a lot of it is, it, I think a lot
2: of it is what you're what you're mentioning there. All these people want the Knicks to be good, but all these voices end up having a seat at the table. All these agents sign this guy, and mm-hmm. you know, like these promises, like that you hear about happening. Well, if you sign this guy, that's an overture to this free agent who will be up in you know in a year, and then the Knicks always seem to uh, always seem to offer too much money you know, because they can, uh, to the wrong people. And it's just, uh, these errors compound. And I think that there's also been, obviously ownership isn't bad, you know, like the fact that, um, to this day, nobody who, nobody has really stood up and said, I am responsible for the Andrea Bargnani trade, you know, (laughs) like lets you know, that, that there are voices in the Knicks, uh, leadership, um, that kind of shouldn't be there. Um, uh gm's haven't been given free reign to run the team i I think part of the promise of the phil jackson era when it first started was here is a person with the gravitas and the and the cv and the resume and the rings to get james Dolan to back off the team get him to back off and and to have a vision about the team and to run it the way that he wants to run it uh for a period of time and it turned out that that uh that you know, that that didn't work out, but that was the promise of the Phil Jackson era at, at first. Um, you know, there's just been a lot of meddling from different from different voices. Like James Dolan's like just a flighty guy who will be like, well, I want to make this move. And then that move will happen. And that move won't necessarily be uh, great for the team, you know, as, as the Andrea Bargnani
1: trade will, will show you.
0: The, if, uh, if you could...
1: I have one more question about yes. this. If you could divorce okay. yourself from the Knicks, you never will... I'm never going to divorce myself from the Sixers for better or for worse. And you won't be able to, because for whatever reason where we're born uh, indicates what level of fan depression that we'll have for the end of time. But if you could, if you could leave, if you could leave the Knicks uh, and go to a different team and become a fan of theirs for the next 10, 15 years, what team would you choose? It's
2: very tough. Um, might be the Bucks just because I love Giannis so much. Oh, I think just like
1: you would go to Milwaukee, you would become I don't, a Milwaukee I, fan.
2: I would have to. It would have to be a place where I like. I absolutely want to watch this player, um, this collection of players. I just think he's like. I don't like know where they ever pop out at, but he's like uh, unbelievable to watch. Uh I, I am attracted to the Sixers to the charisma that you guys have and like but it's just like you, you're feeling yourself too much right now for me to be like yeah i'd watch this
1: that's right um, that's because you know, of where we've come and where we've just, been
2: you guys are feeling yourself way 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 too much right now
1: who if we, if we don't feel ourselves who will feel us for it's, us
2: I, it's a great point
1: we'd welcome I, you is all i'm saying yeah. be, you're a fun welcome team to watch team.
2: i i love young teams that like take a leap before everybody expects them to and that you it's just a really fun
0: team to watch. Well, the good thing about the Bucks is that uh, everyone's been expecting them to take a leap for about five years, and they right, and they just
2: be, not, it just the not exact happen. Exact
0: forty-five win team they are year after fucking year. So yep. Um, sorry, that brings back bad memories. I just <laughs> I remember I remember I still give Sharp shit because it was Andrew Sharp, Chris Ryan, and Juliet Littman five years ago on their fucking podcast talking about how fucking fun and up and coming the Bucks are, and here we are with them still 500 and losing in the first round bucks can eat my ass uh, <laughs> well i mean, listen, can't shoot
2: <laughs> listen uh nobody everybody thought that ben simmons would be good but nobody thought he'd be this good come on like i didn't come on think leave,
0: would... leave that to leave that to mike at this
2: point. I, I did not think that he would be able to affect the game you know without really having a workable jumper in the way he did now you know it came to a head in the in the playoffs and you'd like him to get a passable jumper, but, like, his ability to control a game without, like, a jumper is, like, truly exemplary. It's amazing.
1: Um,
0: Agree. (laughs) Who uh, at the ringer is really good at basketball and who isn't really good at basketball?
2: I mean, there's, like, a lot of people that you wouldn't know. Uh, Uh, Like, like, Richie Bozek. Richie, yeah, Richie Bozek is, like, uh, like... Um, one of our video editors is good. Um, Colin, who's like the head of video, is also very good. Micah Charks, Peters can Charks play. Charks
0: is good. Charks
2: is good. Charks has got the size. You know, it's like a, a traditional like five. Um,
0: talks like a got, robot.
2: Talks like a talks like a robot. A wonderful human being as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, he can he can ball a little bit.
1: What's your game like?
2: My game was, you know, pure New York City. Like, I like to pass, run the pick and roll. I cannot shoot at all. can only go right.
1: The op- so, roten we're saying?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> I like that.
0: <clears throat> um, hmm. I'm trying to think what I... Okay. You can pick two... There's going to be a binge mode done about your life. Oh, my God. You can pick two people to host that binge mode. Who are those two people, and how many episodes is the season of binge? Mode? <laughs> Jesus Christ!
1: It
2: would not be that. It would, honestly would not be that interesting, guys. I think I would like. Ah, uh, man! That's like, who would be? enough binge mode for me. You, you,
1: need, you need a good host. Right, it's got to
2: be a great host. Like, let me think about this for a split second. I guess I would get. I would get Mallory Rubin to still host it, but she'd have someone else with her I guess Malcolm Gladwell maybe it's really like delve into like the cultural importance um, of my life and how it impacted uh, the world you know you think, in ways you think that Gladwell's are unexpected
1: that, that locked in on basketball Twitter
2: I don't I don't but I think he would say I think he'd make it sound good you know what sure, I mean yeah. you can hear him and you're like mm, should I think about this
0: well his podcasts are very prepared that's what I'll say yeah they're just they're fucking just really prepared Um. And and here's a real question, and this is like the, the sure. actually the last real question I have, uh, because I'm fascinated by the ringers um, combination of sports and culture, because mm-hmm. it seems like a natural thing to combine. But in 2018, when everybody can sort of have their own sort of culture bit, um, finding things that fit seems really tough to me. Um, I don't know the question is but can you talk about the process of what is like the right thing to talk about that will fit whatever Mm -hmm. your audience is
2: well I think uh, number one is just like passions are very important at the ringer like what what are what are the people that work there what are they passionate about Um, that is the number one thing so that translates obviously Um, Mal and I are passionate about Game of Thrones about Harry Potter and so that translates to an audience I think the other thing that I've come to realize from grantland and the ringer and just watching uh, this kind of post social media like media landscape is like everything is everything is is basically a story like sports is a story there's narratives that happen there's characters there's ebbs and flows and arcs and villains and heroes um and that's the same thing with and obviously with television with movies with culture um it's all about telling a story and i think um therefore you've got to tap into what what your staff is is passionate about and then it almost doesn't matter if it if it fits because if they're passionate about it it they'll and they're creative enough they'll figure out a way to translate that um in a way that um an audience will will buy into at least that's that's the theory that I have.
0: It's it's interesting you say that. I was reading. I, I love reading uh, about music and listening to podcasts about music, even if mm-hmm. I don't like the songs. And I always think it's interesting. I was reading um, uh, uh, Steve Haydn's book about classic rock, and yeah. he mostly he mostly wrote about like Dylan and Springsteen and Fish, three bands, uh, three artists that I don't like them at all. Of But when I finished reading it, I went back and listened, expecting it to like it because he was so passionate about how he wrote about it. And uh, it's interesting you say that about passion because if you do truly love it in that way, it's uh, it's interesting to listen to and read about, even if it's not interesting to consume.
2: A hundred percent. Like that's what I tell people who occasionally I'll get people emailing like, "How do I? What do I do? I want to I want to be in media. I want to do this that." Find the things. Find a way to talk about the things that you're passionate about, and that will translate. Because the and it doesn't matter if you're like, oh, this subject's kind of stupid. You know, it's like, would uh, going deep dive on Harry Potter at a sports website doesn't really make sense if you stop to think about it. But it makes sense that, that we did it because we are passionate about it. So just you know, finding those things that, that people are passionate about and figure out a way to um, shape that so the audience can engage with it.
1: Uh, Talking about Twitter, I know you got to go, but talking about Twitter Mm -hmm. for a second, uh, do you ever forget your brand? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: In in, in my Twitter brand?
1: Yeah, like, uh, and you sit down and do a tweet, and you're like, what is my voice? Like, who am I again? What's my bit? Because I do do sometimes, and it takes me a second to remember.
2: Yeah, I do think so. And also, like, you know. If you're on there long enough, your brand changes. You know, your your internal voice changes. I do uh, occasionally go back and be like, oh, "What did I used to tweet? What did I used to be like? Uh And you know, there's like a natural thing I think that happens. Like the more the more you move past social media as like your main entry point into uh, uh, with your with the people who want to engage with you, want to read your shit. Um, kind of the more protective you become, it's just like a natural. You know, the more you have to lose, the less like fucking fire you're going to bring on Twitter on a day to day basis. You know, I have, like the story I I always tell is like one of the tweets that got me noticed by Chris Ryan was a was a joke about Daryl Morey uh, um, jacking off with a belt around his neck. Um, <laughs> do I like I th- I would like to think that I still have that voice within me, uh, but I do think I bring it less. But yeah, I do. It does. It, it occasionally will take a, take a second
1: to bring it back. And you pull it back because you're closer in this world and people are maybe, uh, if, you, if you want to find out, say, what kind of soup J.R. Smith threw at an assistant coach, <laughs> right, yeah. if you're saying the GM is uh, autoerotic erotic himself, you're maybe less likely to get those people to answer the phone. <laughs>
0: yes.
2: Sorry about that. that. Yeah.
1: That'll, that'll make sense.
2: Yes, it
1: does. Okay. Uh,
0: well, I thank you for coming on. This was—I uh, I feel like we started talking about having you on like a year ago. So I'm glad. Um, well, uh, you weren't part of that conversation, but Mike and I were. So I'm glad that you uh, that you finally did it.
2: Well, I thank you for inviting me, and it was, this has been a blast.
1: I would um, love to see a a Sixers Knicks rekindled rivalry. I would, like,
2: I would love it too. I would love yeah. it as well.
1: And if that coincides with the Celtics crashing and burning and all the horrible better. for years, that would be really nice as well.
2: All, of that, all, all, all to the good.
0: Uh, Jason Concepcion, uh, we, we thank you for coming on the Ricky. Um, you are not banned, so um, you're welcome anytime. Yep. That's right. All right. Thanks, Jason. See you, man. No, you can just check out. You're good. See you, man, Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> well Jason was uh, he was a good guest I would say that was a, a thought he even started he interviewed you to start it off that's how yeah, considerate he
1: is that is what I think I think that uh, I would like to have a sixers next rivalry and get Jason into the fold more
0: yeah I would rather be a rival with the Knicks than the Celtics, to be honest with you. I uh, it's just I enough think already. It's just enough yeah. already, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's Jason like a, there's a
1: kinship with the Knicks fans of like years of futility and stuff. And I guess the Celtics had that like 20 years ago. But i it's I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I have heard uh, we have heard um, the intro. Should we we can say that the the, uh, the Bill Simmons intro for the live Ricky, right? Uh, yeah, might as well. There it is. Yeah, we, we got a, an exclusive non Bill Simmons, Bill Simmons intro for the live Ricky that is uh long and fantastic. From yeah, from our boy, boy Killer Cow.
0: When when, you, when we say get to your seat, it's get to your seat, like let's put it that way. It is, it is going to be this is, I would say, the most planned out
1: live show we've ever done, right? Like it has the most stuff in yeah. it. We had a phone Let call, call just, yesterday for like 35 minutes. That it was an hour it was an the hour? phone call was an hour it yes. wasn't even on the. Po- like another podcast right, we yeah. should get sponsors for the phone call <laughs> yeah. yeah we have a lot uh, it's going to be really exciting I'm really excited for Felicia to sing that friggin song too. yeah it's going to be um, good yeah. uh, right. and I just want to give a shout out to uh, the North Fork TV Festival which Alive in Denver played at my show uh, my, I guess my other show uh, this past weekend it was in Greenport and let me tell you it was a lovely town it was beautiful I recommend, I have no stake in Greenport, but I was absolutely charmed by it if you're looking for a nice little vacation spot. I would go there. Uh, It's like going back in time. And thank you to my parents and some other friends and then the Ricky listener, Ron Pashery, for for making the trek out to Greenport to see my show. And uh, I think he had a good time. He talked about it on his podcast, which is Ronnie versus the world. Uh, So download that to hear more about my show. I wouldn't tell you to do it if he didn't say nice things about it. (laughs) <laughs> I listened. He did, um, but yeah, we got a good we got a good bunch of people. No one is bad that listens to the podcast, or I have muted the bad people, and so I don't even they, they're just talking into the wind. So no one, I seriously, my the announcement about the show, no one has said anything mean about it, and uh, and I think it's because I muted all of them. I'm realizing now. Uh, so Ron, that's the end it, of it. So thank you to the yeah. good listeners that we have. Yeah, thanks to the echo chamber we've
0: created, it is <laughs> it's perfect. It's and, everything I want. And Ron legit is—I did a a polar plunge for Special Olympics, and Ron was there like in 30 degree weather on the roof of a gym in Drexel, jumping into a pool, like, like you know,
1: driving to Long Island <laughs> because you asked him to. Good guy. And <laughs> my my dad it. my dad couldn't help but tell him about the Ben Simmons show before it broke, so Ron knew, and I oh you told it, told anybody so that's nice it. of him, yeah. I right, We will talk to you this weekend. Um, Are you down with TTP? Yeah. You know Lickface.
2: We are the murderous pair. That with the jail and we murdered the murderous there. Been with the hell and discovered the devil. Delivered some hurting despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke power to the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Woo. Woo. Step into
0: the spotlight. Copy of ups and downers get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Pumping the clouds on the mistletoe.